Good morning. I talked to Gabe yesterday and he was on his way back to Kingsport from the conference and he said that he thought that they had had really good services on Friday and Saturday and the Lord was really blessing them. So I pray He'd do the same again this morning for them. If you would open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm chapter 23. Over the last month or so, I have been listening to Pilgrim's Progress in my car when I travel for work. And I remember reading it as a kid, and um, it's been a very interesting thing to listen to again as an adult. And just the other day, there was a passage where the pilgrim or the, the gentleman going through the story goes through the valley of the shadow of death. And that little excerpt, that 10 minutes portion, I just kept listening to it over and over again. And it just really struck me and I kept listening to it. And in doing so, the phrase, the shadow of death, just it really hit me. And so I looked up in the Scripture, different places where that was used. And of course, the one that always comes to us is Psalm 23 and verse 4 where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the phrase that I remember. And I don't think there was any other verse that I could recollect that phrase, shadow of death. But in looking up that phrase, I found quite a few verses that were really helpful to me. Now the phrase, the shadow of death, can mean a few different things. Many people look at that phrase and they think of the death of this body. We're all going to die. Everyone knows it. That's something that, that no one even really contemplates that they're not going to die. Now, if you have enough money, you attempt a way to prolong it and to maybe I can freeze myself, all these different crazy things. But we're all going to die, and everybody understands that. And that's applicable in some ways. But I think a better usage of that, and at least in the Scriptures, is the shadow of death is the shadow of our sin and our nature and the impending spiritual death. What we've got coming is sin. And in seeing that, that's a really scary thought. Our sin is ever before us, and it's just hanging above us as a shadow that just just bears hard on us. And in looking at it, I, I was reading some of the old writers, and the thing I love about it, and I'm jumping ahead of myself in this message, but it's the shadow of death, meaning that a shadow has no power. In my household, a shadow is a very scary thing. At least once a week, I get a call from my boys. And they're saying, there's a shadow, there's a shadow. And their nightlight in the corner is perfectly placed to shine on the ceiling for them. And they love it and that's what they have as their light. Well, every once in a while, they put a toy in front of that and it blocks the shadow or the curtain moves. And they know. Because every time I go in, it's been a hundred times probably, I just tuck the curtain in or I move the the toy out of the way and the thing's gone. But that shadow is scary to them because they don't know what's causing it. They just see the shadow. And that's the way we are with our sin. Because of what the Lord has done, it's just a shadow. It has no power. Our sin does not condemn us because our Lord has paid the debt for our sin. 
So we get to read about the shadow of death and we don't have to be scared. We don't have to fear because of what He has done. Listen to a couple scriptures here that we, we read in the Bible. In Amos it says, Seek Him that turneth the shadow of death into the morning. In Luke it says, To give light to them that sit in darkness. Those that sit in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Turn over real quick to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. In Matthew, listen to these two verses. The people which sat in darkness, they saw great light. And to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. Why did the people who sat in the shadow of death, why did they see light? Because the next verse says, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look at verse 8 here in Psalm 107. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as this is those that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contempt, <clears throat> excuse me, contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron asunder. In verse 13 it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. We have to have the shadow of death hanging over us because it makes us to call out to Him to ask Him to help us. Just in the way that my boys call out, I'm not sure how scared they are. But every time they call out, they know I'm going to come in and fix it. I'm going to remove it. And that's what the Lord does to us. He reassures us. He gives us hope. He gives us words such as these that we know when that shadow, when that comes over us, when we get scared, we call upon Him. Now, we know our faith is so weak, but we know from what He's done for us and what He's shown us that He's paid for our sins. Yet that shadow still makes us doubt. So He continually tells us over and over again, it's okay. And if we turn back to Psalm 23, this passage, this passage shows us and tells us it gives us so much comfort. In Isaiah, it says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those that the Lord shows Himself to, it, is, it illuminates everything. When the Lord is present, because He is light, there's no shadow. There's no darkness at all. His light removes all darkness. It's the concept of when you walk in a dark room and turn the light on, there's no more darkness. Now, just like everything in this earth is not comparable, we still have shadows. But when His light in glory, there's no darkness. There'll be none. Darkness cannot exist where our Lord is. So let me tell you for just a minute, let me give a couple minutes summary of that portion in Pilgrim's Progress. Now that book was 
written by Bunyan hundreds of years ago. And the stories of him preaching, and they told him that if you keep preaching, we're going to throw you in jail. And he said, I'm not going to stop. And they threw him in and he wrote this book. And it's an allegory of a, a child of God's journey through life, through this life, looking and searching for the Lord. And in this portion, this, this man, whose name is Christian is what they call him, he comes to the valley of the shadow of death. And it's really dark and he's very scared. It's so dark that when he starts to walk in it, he can't see where he's putting his feet. Now, I've never been in any situation that's dark enough that if I concentrate on the ground, I can't see where my foot is going to land next. But that's how dark it is. And the path is extremely narrow. And on both sides is immense trouble. On one side of him is a great ditch that he's worried he's going to fall in. On the other side is a great bog that he's scared if he touches it, he's going to get stuck in and never be able to get out of. And it's fascinating that he can see both dangers on each side, yet he can't see where he's putting his foot down each step. And isn't that us? We cannot see the correct path, the way that we're intended to go, the way we will go by the Lord's providence. But we sure do see the trouble that's all around us. We sure do get distracted by that. And as he goes along... All kinds of sounds and smoke and smells and appearances start to distract him and trouble him. He's so worried about all these things. But he can't see them. He doesn't know what they are. And he gets so scared at some point as he's walking, as he's holding, he walks with a sword and a shield. The sword he's been given. And as he gets on this path, it's so narrow and he's so scared, he realizes he has to put up his sword and he has to put up his shield if he's going to stay on the path. He realizes that he can't defend himself anymore. So at that moment, he realizes the only thing I have to defend myself is prayer. And as he continues on that, he starts to realize he thinks he's being chased by something, but he doesn't know what. He doesn't know what dangers are around, but he just feels like he's being chased by something. And at that moment, he realizes that his only threat is to shout out loud, I walk in the strength of the Lord my God. And this is our journey. We have no idea what's coming. We don't know the troubles that are around us. Oftentimes we we think we see them, but the Lord makes us to see when we find trouble that we have to depend on Him. We have to look at Him. And in the darkness ahead, He thinks He hears someone else say, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. And He finds such great comfort in that verse And he finds such great comfort in realizing that he's not alone on the journey. Someone else is going down this path with him. And he also realizes that the only way that anyone would ever say that is the same reason, the only reason he started praying is that the Lord had shown them something. And he thought to himself, if he could only meet them, then he would have a companion on his journey. And then finally he gets halfway through this valley of darkness and the light breaks. The sun rises and he begins to see. And as he looks back on what he has passed through, he sees those trials and tribulations that he had passed through. And he realizes there were so many more dangers and so many more things that he passed through that the darkness had kept him from seeing. Because he couldn't see everything, he was able to make it through. But once he gets to the light and once he sees it, which is Christ, he realizes that he's no longer in danger. Once the light comes, he realizes that he has a God. 
He was amazed that he made it this far. And when he looked forward to the second half of his journey and the part that he'd already traveled, he realized that the journey ahead was much more dangerous than what he'd passed. Once the Lord shows us the path and we see who we are and who he is, we realize how many more travails there are. But we see that we are the actual problem. We see that we are the ones that are in our way. But this pilgrim says, the Lord's candle shineth on my head and by his light I go through darkness. Now look with me here at Psalm 23 and I just want to take a couple minutes just to look at a few things to see the comfort we have in the way that the Lord provides his providence and his light for us through this journey. In verse 1 there, it starts off with the Lord. The Lord, by definition, He has ownership over all. It's so important to know. It seems like something that should be a given. I mean, the definition of the word God, the definition of the word Lord, those things mean something, yet this world just doesn't recognize it. The Lord, God, ruler over all. He owns us. He has been given all things by the God above. He is our Lord by divine decree. It has been proclaimed. He has been highly exalted. He is heir over all things. He is our Lord by death. He died, He rose, and revived that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He is our Lord by faith. If thou shalt confess and believe in thy heart, thou shalt be saved. He is our Lord. And as our Lord, He is also our shepherd. He is my shepherd. He owns me. He owns us. The Father gave us to Him. The the sheep that the Lord gave to the shepherd. He owns us. We're His. He also, He loves us. He is our shepherd. We see of shepherds who love their sheep and would lay down their life for their sheep. I can't even comprehend that. I, I can't comprehend laying down my life for a sheep. But a shepherd is given the task of looking over their sheep. And our Lord loves His sheep. He loves us. He also is our shepherd because He bought us with His blood. He paid for us. And He is not only our shepherd, but He is the chief shepherd. He is the shepherd of all shepherds. He is the great shepherd. He is the most powerful, the most wonderful shepherd. And He is also the good shepherd. It's one thing to be the most powerful shepherd. It's another to have the most authority, to be the best or whatever. But that he's actually the good shepherd. The way he treats us and takes care of us in a way that we don't deserve. He is the good shepherd, the kind shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This word want is so often used as we say things like I want something how often my children say, I want that, I want that. We go into a store, gas station, anywhere, and it's, I want that, I want that, I want that. This is saying that we will never want, both in that there's nothing that we ever truly need that we won't have or He won't give us. Mixed with, our shepherd is so great that He makes His sheep content with what they have. We don't have to say, I want that, I want that, I want that. Because since we have Him, we don't want anything else. We wouldn't trade our shepherd for anything. Now, our sin makes us pathetic in so many ways in that regard. We still, 
I have prepared this message and said that phrase to myself, I don't know how many times, yet I'm, I don't know how many times I've thought, oh, I wish I had that, I want that, in the midst of thinking of the things that I, there is nothing we need, nothing we should want because we have our Lord. I shall not want, even if I'm the weakest of the sheep, if I'm the dumbest of the sheep, if I'm the feeblest of the sheep, if I'm the wonderingest of the sheep, I don't want anything. If I'm the weakest, it's okay because He's my strength. If I'm the if I'm the dumbest, it's because He's my wisdom. If I'm the feeblest, it's because He is everything. He's done everything for me. I don't have to do anything. And if I'm the wonderingest, that's okay because I'm His sheep and He will get me. He always searches after me. He always comes and gets me. I may be sick, I may be sad, but I will not want if He is my shepherd. Because He is able to save. He is able to save me. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him. He is able to present me faultless before the throne as He is able to raise my vile body in that day. He is able. He's able to do these things. Look at verse 2. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Lying down is something we can't do unless we're at peace. Now, by lying down, I don't mean we just lay down. We sometimes lay down out of fatigue. We lay down because we don't want to do something. We lay down for a lot of reasons. But to lie down at peace? You can't have any worries in order to lie down in peace. Because when the Lord shows us that He's done everything, we don't have to do anything. Now, every time that I'm struggling mentally and I can't sleep at night or whatever's going on, you know what always is the problem? It's something of this world. You know, I don't think, and I thought about this, I don't think there's been a single time in my entire life that laying down to go to sleep and I was thinking of the Lord or anything about Him and I couldn't sleep. Every time I can't sleep, it's because I'm thinking of things of this world and of the flesh and me. That's where all our problems lie. That's everything. And the first, second word of that, He maketh me. We cannot lie down in green pastures unless He makes us. That green pastures, the place, pastures of tender grass, the gentle place, the place for us to rest. Not only does He have to make us lie down, He has to give us peace, but we also don't know the green pastures. We can't find green pastures. We, we mess everything up. He has to provide the pastures and He has to make us lie down in them. He does it all. He maketh me to lie down <clears throat> in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Our path that we tread is one that we just we just look for trouble. We just can't go the right way. And yet He makes us, He leads us beside the still waters. The calm, peaceful earth. The calm water. We see Peter when he asked the Lord to let him walk to him and he walks on water. Nothing mattered about what the water was like when he was walking on it. It's just that when he looked at the water, he realized he was in trouble. He maketh us. He leadeth us beside the still waters. He gives us peace. I rest. We rest in our minds and soul because we're fed by his word and we're assured by his promises. Our peace comes from what he has done and what he tells us. We don't look at the troubles of this world the darkness. Instead, we look at the light who is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we find it. Look at verse 3. 
He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He restoreth my soul. In order to restore something, something had to be in bad shape. Like you don't go restore something brand new. Restoring implies that it needed fixing. Our soul is full of sin and just awful. He took it and by what He did, He restored it. He brought it. He makes us to be like Him. He restoreth my soul and He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. It's we, as we look at Scripture and we so often apply it to this life. And we all know that this book is, is a spiritual book. This book is about our souls and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet, so often it is also applicable to us in this life, in the flesh. And to see that He makes us lie down in green pastures and He leadeth beside the still waters. And it says, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. When, when it says, leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, that takes it to another level. When we say, we lie down in green pastures, He leadeth me beside the still waters, it makes us usually think of, you know, He's going to give me a peaceful day, a peaceful life, or He's going to let me rest in those things. But to think of this in the terms of my soul and my righteousness, that He does that, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, and why does He do that? He does it, for His name's sake. Everything the Lord has done is for His glory. He said, I must be about my father's, my father's business. He is intent on doing what has to be done. And what He's done is we are going to give Him the glory. Now, everyone will give Him glory. I love in the Scriptures when it says, everyone will bow down. Everything. It talks about the mountains, the trees. Everything will bow down to Him. And either He makes us to bow or He forces us to bow. We will bow down. Everyone will. We don't want for redemption and forgiveness because He restores us. In Adam we died, in Christ we live. He did it. We can't find, we can't recognize, we can't walk in paths of righteousness. He has to lead us there because it is His path. We can't find it because we can't. We don't know it exists. We don't know anything about it. It's His path and He has to take us on this path. He made us righteous before God and He leads us in that path both to love it and to walk in it. It's not enough that He makes us, He leads us and we walk in the path. He makes us love it. In, in the next message, we'll talk about that. But them that love God, He makes us to love Him. And in doing so, we don't love Him. We love Him because He first loved us. But what a glorious thing it is to be made to love Christ. What an amazing thing. And for His name's sake, for the praise of His grace. Look at verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. To think one day that I will have no fears. To think that one day, things will not cloud my mind and scare me. And my children, I talk about the boys being scared of the shadow and everything. I'd like to say that I'm not scared of the dark. But most of the time I'm in the dark, it's usually when I'm in my house or I'm in a comfortable place. 
if I find myself in a moment with a flat tire on the side of the road in the middle of the night, darkness is a little scarier to me at that moment. To think that I will have no fears where it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How can I not fear evil? I'm, I'm consciously, I'm all the time I'm scared of things such as, am I going to get fired? Am I going to get pulled over on the side of the road? Is something going to happen to my family? All these things that constantly enter your mind that we have no control over, and I'm scared of them. But how in the world can we fear no evil? How can we fear nothing? Because it says, for thou art with me. If we're with the Lord, if we're beside Him, if we're in Him, if we're under His arm, if we're in His hand, under His shoulder, wherever we are, if we're with Him, if He shows us that we're in Him, we don't have to fear anything. Because He is our protector, our shepherd. He comforts us. He takes care of us. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Some people think the rod and the staff are an example of correct, correction and chastisement. And that's true. I want the Lord to correct me. I want Him to chasten me. I don't want to be chastened, but if I do something wrong, I want the Lord to correct me. Some people say that the rod and the staff are used to number the sheep, to count them. As the sheep goes through, they'd have the rod and the staff, and they would count them as the sheep go under the staff. And that's true as well. It is so amazing that the Lord has a count and a particular number of sheep. Every single one of them is accounted for and taken care of. There is never a moment where a single one of his sheep is not in his watchful eye and not under his hand and not under his staff. And then even more think of the rod and the staff are symbols of his sovereignty, of his direction, of his defense, his ruling, his directing, his defending all of his sheep. And that's true too, because I want the Lord to rule over me. I want him to direct me. I want him to defend me. I want him to do those things. All of those things, his rod and staff, they comfort us. He does everything for us. Our protector, our corrector, our numberer, our keeper. He does all of those things. They comfort us. And the reason they comfort us is the one simple thing. It is his rod. It is his staff. If you give one of us the rod or the staff, we are going to abuse it. If we have it for correcting and chastening, we will beat with it. We will do things that we shouldn't do. If it's to number them, we can't keep count. We lose them constantly. And we don't have the direction or the wisdom to do anything that He does. It's His rod, His staff, and He uses them and protects us. Look at verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Even in the presence of our enemies, our shepherd supplies all our needs. To sit down to eat is something that we must do. It is our sustenance. Our Savior provides everything we need. He prepares the table for us. We didn't bring anything. This is not a potluck. This is not something where everybody has their part. He prepares the meal. He prepares the table. He prepares the plates, the silverware, the chairs, the room. He prepares the whole feast. He prepares it all. And He does it in the presence of mine enemies. It doesn't have to be there. But because it's in front of our enemies, that makes us to know that everything, everyone is submissive to our God. 
We have enemies and we could not be like our Lord without enemies. Our Lord had enemies. We have the world, we have our flesh, we have the devil, but He fully sets our table. We lack nothing. And in this meal, there's no rushing. There's no confusing confusion. There's no last minute changes. Nothing brought by us, but we sit down at a feast with our Lord as though our enemies don't even exist. He prepares the table for us. And it doesn't matter who's around. As long as He is there, it will be the greatest feast and the greatest meal. Our cup runneth over is a phrase that I love. All cups are one of two things. Everyone has a cup. And our cups are either full and they run over or they're empty. Because the only thing that fills us, that sustains us, that provides for us is the Lord. And if we have Him, our cup runneth over. It doesn't matter how fast we drink. It doesn't matter if we try to pour it all out. Our cup is always running over. But if we don't have Him, we don't even have a drop. There's nothing in it. Our Lord is everything. And look at verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy will always follow us for every day of our life. This is again a moment where in our lives we sure do not feel like goodness is something that follows us around. Both in the way I act and the things I do, no one would claim I am a person who walks around with goodness. Though if we have the Lord, if we understand what He's done for us, we realize that mercy and goodness is following us in every single step we take. Because of Him. If we have Him, goodness and mercy. That's the only thing we need. But if we apply this spiritually to our everlasting souls, to salvation, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Forever. And in the last thing, because of all these things, all this stuff, because of our shepherd, because He makes us lie down, He leads us, He restores our soul, all those things, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everything that we see here, and for that matter, everything in this book, goodness, mercy, everything, all of it is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're in Him, it says we'll dwell in His house forever. And that's not, you know, three score and ten or whatever the number of years of our lives. That's not what that means. Because time is something we just can't grasp. And 70 years, 90 years seems like an immense amount of time. But to think of that moment not even being the snap of a finger in regards to eternity. To think that that's how long. That what's the song say? That after 10,000 days, we'll have spent no less days than we spend in the future. Like 10,000 days can pass and it won't actually have mattered that length of time because it will just continue forever. To know that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We shall not want for anything in this life or the next. And in closing, let me say, it's not a presumption to say these things. To be able to say that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because we're in Him. That's not a presumptuous thing to say because it's not a claim of personal worth or merit. It's not something we did. 
We stand before a holy God in judgment, pleading the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I've got to stand on. We say these things in faith and in confidence in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great shepherd, who is our chief shepherd, and who is our good shepherd. With Him, we can say that we'll dwell in the house of the Lord.